Cool. Well, we want to dive straight into the end of our Mind Bender series. So it's like the series, that name just sort of became a name. It's like the unintentional series. And we decided to call it Mind Bender because we've been looking at different elements uh, of our thinking and of our spiritual understanding that um, maybe trying to shake up some of our thinking and broaden some of our thinking. And we've looked at heaven and we've looked at hell and uh, we've looked at how, we, how our imagination, I guess, at times can let us down, can get us into trouble when we believe the right things but we see the wrong picture in our head and I'm going to sort of touch on that a little bit today. Uh, and we looked at why an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is the best law ever or was the best law ever. Can you remember that? Then last week, can anyone remember, remember what we talked about? Why the wrath of God is your friend. I thought that was cool. (laughs) I'm glad. It's really great to see Marlene in church. You often have to work on a Sunday and it is wonderful. A Sunday off, which is a rare thing for you, and here you are in God's house. That is just brilliant. Bruce is looking pretty good too, isn't he? Cool. And so we've looked at these topics and... um, Uh, and I guess trying to broaden our understanding. So I want to dive straight into this again. I've been promising I would talk about Jesus at some point, and so we're going to look at Jesus today, and this will be the end of the series because, to tell you the truth, I'm really keen to get back to uh, maybe some simpler topics than the way I've been going about things. So here we go. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 17, very familiar passage of Scripture to any student of the Bible. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, I think what is the most important question that anyone can ever answer. But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you're the Christ, the the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. In other words, you're not clever enough, mate, but you got a revelation. God showed you this uh, and, uh, and that's passage. What we see here is that the interesting thing I, I first pick up is everyone has an opinion about Jesus. Everyone does. And uh, uh, there's a lot of opinions out there, but the one that Jesus is most interested in is yours. And that's why I think it's so, so important that we don't just clone someone else's concept, clone someone else's idea, but that we actually wrestle with Scripture and we rest, wrestle in our journey with God and we actually ourselves, like Peter, get a personal revelation of who Jesus is in our lives. I'll just amen myself. That's a great point, Chris. I think you should preach it. Okay, I will. And mankind has many attempts to relate to God in the face of Jesus Christ. Uh, and over the years, it's interesting, but there's many of them. And, uh, and I want to look at some pictures, I guess, of how people have imagined Jesus to be uh, and have a little bit of fun with this on the way through. So first of all, I want to look at Jesus as a white guy. 
okay? As a very white guy, as a matter of fact, I was looking at that in the first service and I thought, I reckon he comes from Dubbo, except except they, he's brushed his hair. I'm not sure whether they do down there. Anyone ever live in Dubbo here? Anyone, anyone ever visited Dubbo? Been to the zoo maybe? So, hey man. <laughs> well, yeah, doing the hair is no issue for us. And so... Here's white guy Jesus, okay? And it's funny because it's like we all know Jesus didn't come from Dubbo, but in our mind and sometimes in the movies, that's sort of how we place him. And then the next one is, uh, is, is even better. This is blue-eyed Jesus. See those bright blue eyes? They are movie star. Please ignore the crown of thorns, but they are movie star eyes if ever you've seen them, aren't they? Look at that. Now the next one is even better. This is what I call the smouldering look, Jesus. This is model G. This is down the catwalk and that Jesus. And they've even got, he's even got the shroud, you know, that just frames his face beautifully. There's that Jesus. And then there's this Jesus, which uh, many of us would be familiar, maybe Jim Caviezel, one of the most... um, Hipster Jesus, that's what Sue said. I, I actually, I sort of thought that Jesus is actually starting to look even just slightly Middle Eastern there. I, I don't know, but there is a slight ethnic twist there, probably, I don't know, Eastern European. I don't know, but he looks a little bit more like what Jesus may have than some of the other guys who are just flat out movie star. Okay. And so the next one. Now we have, we have black guy Jesus. And for us, let's start in Africa. This is from an African church. So, uh, so we have, I guess, African Jesus. Then we have African American Jesus. Okay. And then we have, uh, Aboriginal Jesus from a church in the Northern Territory. Uh, these are fascinating images, fascinating images, because this is getting on this concept that I've sort of mentioned a few times is that God creates us in his image. And then we return the favour. We want to be able to relate to God as if God is like us. Um, and so let's, let's go to the next one. This gets even more interesting. There's, uh, there's Chinese Jesus being baptised by John the Baptist, who, who's his cousin, so he had to be Chinese as well. And so we have Chinese Jesus. There he is once again. And then we have Indian Jesus, okay, as in from the subcontinent, India Jesus. And, um, and I just, yep, there we go. Oh, we're moving, we're moving. We've got sporting Jesus, sporting Jesus, because we know Jesus loves sport. And, uh, and Jesus is your coach. And so as long as you take that further than just sport, that's not a bad idea, don't you think? Jesus is a great coach. So there's, there's coach Jesus. And then um, as we keep moving, maybe we actually get more authentic and we start to look at Middle Eastern Jesus just a little bit. So can I have that? Here's, uh, here's maybe a little bit more authentically the kind of facial features and skin tones that maybe Jesus may have had, even though this actor from the movie Risen, Cliff Curtis, is a Maori actor. So he's a Kiwi. So Kiwis have a claim to Jesus. Come on, if you're a Kiwi here. Yeah. Yay. That's cool. That's cool. So you have a claim to Jesus because I think this guy, Cliff Curtis, maybe maybe one of the more authentic, and actually if you've ever watched the movie, this is not a corny Christian 
movie. This is actually a brilliant movie, one, I think one of the best faith-based movies I've ever seen, and he portrays Jesus as actually happy, which is a nice change from serious. Uh, and so there we have it, and then I want to finish and just land on this sec- section, just on this graphic of, um, of Jesus, and we'll just leave it up there for a moment. And uh, I picked the graphics so we got away from actually photos of pe- people's faces. And, uh, and this is a, an artist's impression of a very average Middle Eastern, you know, around that whole area, Judea, Palestine person. Uh, interestingly enough, the Bible doesn't say very much at all about what Jesus looked like. Even though we like to imagine him certain ways, Scripture doesn't tell us a lot. There's a couple of Messianic prophecies, both in the book of Isaiah, that give us maybe the only clues we have to what Jesus may have looked like. Isaiah 50, 50 verse 6 says, um, uh, I offered my back to those who beat me. Now, this is a prophecy 600 years before the fact. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. So we, we can sort of assume from Scripture Jesus had a beard, which would have been customary at the time, and reasonably close-cropped close beard, which was customary at the time. And then uh, Isaiah 53 verse 2, the last part of the verse says, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. That is so different to the movie star image that we put up there of Jesus, isn't it? It is so different. All we really know from Scripture is is that most likely Jesus had a beard and was totally unremarkable. In other words, he just would have blended with the crowd and you wouldn't have taken a second look. So different to the groomed and, and uh, streaked hair and, the, and, and everything that we want to fashion culturally, ethnically around Jesus to suit us. And yet I sort of understand how we do that. I know for me, uh, when I became a Christian and coming out of the scene I was coming out of, which was like a, a performance-driven, image-driven scene, and I thought it was cool at the time myself, but I needed to find something that somehow redeemed God as being slightly hip and cool for me, for me to engage God. And, and I remember for me, a big thing was Christian music. When I first started to hear Christian music that sounded a little bit like what was on the radio, I was relieved because there was sort of a, something I could connect with. And it wasn't long after I became a believer that uh, I actually found a second-hand copy of the book I'm about to show you. This is a book I owned. Now, I've sourced this image off Amazon, okay, because I searched for it. And I found it, and would you believe it, there's a second-hand one on Amazon. I nearly bought it just for old time's sake, but uh, I wouldn't be able to read it now without my glasses, and because I'm too proud, I'll just stick with a, uh, with a backlit screen, okay? But this is a good news New Testament in denim that looks like a pair of jeans. And you wouldn't believe how cool that looked compared to most Bibles in 1986. And so I grabbed a hold of that because somehow... It helped me 
relate to God when I could even just wrap his word in something that looked a little bit cool in my eyes. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so I think that we have this natural tendency uh, to do this. And uh, this, is the, this is the last image I guess we'll throw up, which is, uh, uh, this is Jesus, Jesus getting his makeup on. But I've only used this as an illustration of, I think this is what we do. We touch God up to suit us. <laughs> we, just, we add our touches so that we can relate. Does, does anyone know what I'm talking about? And, and here's the thing. And, and I mean, we, we go through all those other images with a, which are ethnic and cultural images. And then you think we've, um, we've complicated him by filtering him back through 2,000 years of church history and pop culture, literally until he's no longer a first century Judean Jew. And this is what I'm talking about. If we're not careful, we make God in our image. But the amazing thing is, I actually think God is okay with that. I think God's okay with us holding an image of him that we can relate to. As a matter of fact, I think it goes beyond that. I think it's why he came. He is relevant to every generation. In John chapter 14, verse 9, um, Jesus talks to the disciples and he's just shocked that uh, they're asking questions about God. We want to just show us the Father, just show us God. And Jesus says, have I been with you for so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who sees me has seen the Father, so how can you say, show us the Father? In other words, Jesus' whole mission was to reveal God to us and he came as a man with skin on so that we could actually relate to God and know that God was relating to us in the most intimate and most personal of ways. So when we make God in our image or we hold an image of God that suits us, I actually think Jesus would be tickled pink with all those ethnic images to see himself portrayed in all the variegated images or uh, faces of humanity. It actually means he's achieved what he came to do. All kinds of people seeing him as one of us. That's why Jesus came. So I think God's pretty cool with it. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15, talking about Jesus, says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted, or we could use the word tested, yet yet as we are, yet without sin. So in other words, uh, Jesus came not just to show us God, but to relate to us in such a way that we could say, you've walked the same paths I've got to walk. You lived in broken humanity with a broken world. You've faced the same trials, the same struggles, the same temptations, everything that I could ever go through. Jesus, you went through so that I would know that you could relate to me. So I think God would be tickle pink, actually, with by all the all the different images and you know, and if you, you spent some time, you'd find a whole heap more. And I think Jesus would be quite happy to own all the ethnic ones at the very least. 
So I want to look at today because I think that's cool as long as, as long as it's only skin deep. Hold whatever image you want to of Jesus. What suits you? Cool Jesus, sporting Jesus, white Jesus, black Jesus, whatever Jesus. That's okay as long as it's only skin deep. Where we get into trouble is when we create God in our image according to the way we think or the way we act. Whatever image you have to have to relate, that's okay. I think that's one of the reasons why Scripture does not fill us in. There's a lot of places in Scripture where it's like, insert the blank. Then sometimes we're like, uh, God, I just really wish you'd give something really clear about this, and he doesn't. And, and I think it's intentional. I think often it's you insert the blank that you need to relate to. And this is one of those thoughts. So I want to look at snapshots of Jesus. Uh, let's go deeper. Let's go into now what's behind the image because that's the important stuff. The thinking and the actions, that's the important stuff. Whatever face you put on it, who is Jesus really? And I want to look at snapshots of Jesus, very broad brushstrokes of who he was and what he was about. And uh, okay, let's jump in. You ready? Are you with me? Did I lose anyone? We're ready to go? Okay, Jesus had really, I don't think Jesus would have been that comfortable to be around a lot of the time. And he was a lot of fun. They did a lot of hanging out and eating. You see Jesus laughing and rejoicing. I think Jesus would have been fun, but when he when he actually pushed a point, I don't think he always would have been that comfortable because he sees the world so differently to what we often do. You can see this in his, in his people focus, that Jesus, Jesus was orientated towards the marginalised more than the mainstream. A great example of this is children. Um, great, uh, a great passage of scripture where they bring children to Jesus in Mark chapter 10. They brought little children to him, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Greatly displeased, Scripture says. This is Jesus. He said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Man, how wrong could you get Jesus? See, here's the issue. Jesus is like, uh, he's the teacher. He is Messiah. He is He's up here and, and we don't want any of those less important people cluttering up his schedule or ruining his day. Come on, let's, let's face the fact. These kids would have been real kids, not movie kids, real kids and real kids before facial tissues, real kids before wet wipes for mum and dad. They would have, these would have been real kids and they would have been climbing on things they shouldn't be climbing on. They would have been making noise they shouldn't have been making. They would have been probably making smells they shouldn't have been making. You know what children are. And yet Jesus opens, just welcomes them with open arms. And more than that, he says to his disciples, it's literally, how wrong could you get me? For such is the kingdom of God. That's what this is all about. It's about these little people. You see them as not contributing. You see them as limited. You see them as less than important. But I highlight them as as the most important audience I've had all day. And man, I think that's why we should never apologize for doing what we do with kids really, really well. 
I've never ever heard it. I've never heard a grumbly world uh, word about us doing a playground for the kids and putting in gyms and whatnot. And in the future, uh, hopefully, we're talking now to designers and looking at a seventy-five place childcare centre that'll become a state-of-the-art kids' church on the weekend. And I tell you what, we should never ever begrudge it because they're the kind of little people that Jesus had His eyes on. And the interesting thing is, when it comes to the kids, we all know they're not going to pay for it. <laughs> They're not going to pay for it. But we should never begrudge sowing into the next generation because that's, that's one frame of who Jesus is. You know, this is a very simple portrait. As a matter of fact, if we wanted to portray Jesus, you know, we'd have, we'd have frames all over the, the platform here saying here's one portrait, here's another, here's another level, here's another dimension of Jesus' life. I just want to paint one dimension today. And that first part of the frame is that Jesus focused on the marginalised. When it came to people, think about other great stories that Jesus told. When he was telling stories, this is what the kingdom is like, or this is how you should treat other people. What is remarkable in Jesus' stories is so often the 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 hero or the heroine of the story is actually an outsider, is an outcast, is someone that the society of the day had written off from the woman caught in adultery to the good Samaritan who were the illegitimate, as far as the Jews were concerned, the illegitimate cousins to them, uh, idol worshippers and, and, or false worshippers and they were the outsiders and Jesus made them the heroes of his story, even the disciples themselves as men that had gone back to their father's business had already obviously been rejected from ever being rabbis or teachers of the word of God. They weren't sharp enough. They weren't clever enough. If you wonder why they dropped everything to follow Jesus, it was because it was a second chance. Jesus comes along, the great teacher that everyone's applauding and says, follow me. And they left everything in an instant. Why? Because he gave outsiders a second chance. And not just a second chance, but he brought outsiders, not just in. Unlearned fishermen, remember, was one of the things said of them. Not only in, but into the core. Think about it, folks. We're sitting here today because of them. Jesus sees people so differently. He sees the margin. Jesus seems to have this ability to see everyone in the room. Whereas often people for us fade into the wallpaper, fade, fade to grey, often for us. And so that children matter, but not only children, people in general, and especially those who are rejected or easily trodden underfoot, there's one frame. If you want to really see Jesus, see him with that as part of your frame of reference. Here's another thought. Mercy over judgment. You want to see Jesus? Want, a, want an accurate image of Jesus that goes deeper than the skin? Mercy over judgment, which is interesting for us in our day, our day and age, because we live in a, in a society really where retribution and payback sells as entertainment. And then Jesus comes in so countercultural. Uh, Luke chapter, chapter 9, verse 53 50 to 56 He's out preaching on the road and a village does not receive him. It says that they did not receive him. And when his disciples, when they saw this, James and John, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and he rebuked them. 
and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And I I love the way the, the story finishes. It's like, and so they went to another village. This dynamic discipleship moment, and it's almost as if it's like Jesus is like, right, we've got to go to another village. There goes Jesus. Here go the disciples. Because what he'd said to them is, you don't know what spirit you're of. You do not know what's even in your own heart. He's saying, you, you, you've got God so wrong, is what Jesus was saying to them, which when you think about it, uh, it pays to consider that before you decide to represent God in the media. Because you wouldn't be the first one to get him really wrong. <laughs> Jesus' focus is mercy over judgment. Next thought, so there's two frames of the, of the portrait. You're getting a little portrait of Jesus this morning. Please tell me you are. I've just wasted 20 minutes of your life. You are? Okay, here's the third frame. Focus on the spiritual over the physical. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's, it's really interesting how Jesus throws that out there and it's certainly not a popular message in an age of individuality and self-promotion, which really is the age we live in, what's in it for me? And I've got no doubt that was in Jesus' day as well. And he's so countercultural to it. He's so not like we would expect. The verses before this, he explains, you know, it's stuff about the stuff of life, the roof over your head, the food you eat, that kind of thing. And Jesus said, that stuff, the material stuff of this world, pagans run after. What he was saying was non-covenant people, people who don't even pretend to have trust in God, run after those things their whole life. Their focus consists of what I've got. But that shouldn't be you. Seek first the kingdom. And, and he's not talking about heaven. Let's, let's get that right. Jesus, Jesus told us where the kingdom of God was. He said, it's within you. Don't believe someone who says it's over there, it's over here. It's in that church. It's at that revival meeting or whatever. Don't believe them. If it's not happening in you, it ain't happening. So what Jesus was talking about is not someplace somewhere else, but the space that God has in your life. Focus, pursue, pursue the space you give to God and things that those that don't trust God, they'll come to you anyway. In other words, you won't have to run after them. They will run after you. Things that people without faith pursue will pursue you if you just place God first. And and often our thinking is is sort of around the, the place God's got us in. My position, my opportunity, my career, my this, my that. Like, where's God got me in life? And where do I want to go? And God, you need to get me where I need to go. Can I just suggest something different? What Jesus is saying is don't worry about the the place that God's got you in. You worry about the place that God's got in you. 
You pursue that. You pursue expanding your heart and giving Jesus space in your life. And the things that you desire the most can be added to you. It's just a priorities thing. So different from, from our world and the way that we attempted to think as human beings. But Jesus is most interested in your pursuit of his purposes, not your pursuit of your own. Here's another thought. Here's the fourth frame. Generosity and sacrifice. You want to see Jesus, you know, you, you see him in the people he prioritises and prioritising the marginalised and you see him in the triumph of mercy over justice. You see him in spiritual priorities dictating to natural, not the other way around, and you see him in generosity and sacrifice. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his whole life as a ransom for many. Jesus saw his whole life as an opportunity to serve others. His whole life. And, and just think about it for a minute. Jesus, the, not, not only the Son of Man, but the Son of God, with his miracle-working power. With, I, I look at him in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's... His disciples try and rise up and, and, and fight the soldiers that come to arrest him. And he's like, I could call on heaven. I have 12 legion. I have 12,000 angels here in a blink if I wanted it. How he could have manipulated that. He could have used his moment in time in humanity to self-promote and be the most powerful man by this world's standards that ever, ever lived. And that's what they were expecting him to do. But instead, he served others. He used the incredible power and opportunity he'd been given. He used his moment in the spotlight to serve others and to give his life away. That's, that's pretty crazy, isn't it? But that's Jesus. And I think he calls us to do that. Did anyone see the Win News article this week? on New Hope Community Care and the water at the fireys. And a few people saw it, just a few people. Wow, no one's watching the news anymore. Well, I'm not. It was sent to me. Otherwise, I wouldn't have seen it. But but where it came from is that when news was at, at the fire control centre um, that was directing the Peachy Fire or wherever it is at the moment and, and – um, uh, and when news were there, maybe looking for a story, and our guys rolled up uh, unknowingly with with um, slabs of of uh, fresh water for the fireys to drink, and were just dropping them out. So they came over and interviewed them and did a piece on it. And of course, it, it looked really good that we were doing something really practical to help, and stuff like that happens every week without ever getting the spotlight on it. And I think it's just such a reflection of Jesus' heart. You just do it for humanity. So much of what Jesus did, he healed people that never followed him. He healed people that never even came back and said, thank you. We'd be tempted to go, well, stuff you. Jesus did it just because people matter. And, and, and that's something that we do as a collective on so many levels. But can I encourage us? It's got to go to the macro level, right where we are every day in 
an educational facility or in a factory or in a marketplace or a, a business that you run or a school or a university or wherever we find ourselves, that generosity and sacrifice of Jesus has to go to a point where we, we give words of encouragement and life, whether they're deserved or not where we show mercy and grace, we bring forgiveness and we bring restoration into situations that, that might appear beyond it. But that's how we incarnate and, and mimic Jesus in a sense. We have the opportunity to do that. By the way, if you, if you want to drop slabs of water into the church at any point, bring them next Sunday or bring them through the week and we'll make sure... They get to firefighters just to keep those guys encouraged in the current situation. You know, whenever you talk about Jesus as just who he really is, you can almost sometimes feel a, a little bit of a backdraft of a religious spirit that would say something like, Jesus came to bring a sword, not peace. He said it himself. You're not telling the whole truth. You know, Jesus did say that. I didn't come to bring peace. I come to bring a sword. You know, what I find is interesting is, is what he was bringing a sword to was actually entrenched religion that bound people up rather than usher them into the kingdom. Did Jesus come to bring a sword? Absolutely. Did he come to make a way and open up a way for every human heart to approach God? I, I can't carve Jesus up any other way than kind and merciful, the saviour of the world. So I want, to, um, I want to ask us some questions just as we close and maybe just apply this. You know, everything I've said about Jesus, that snapshot, if that's the way you see Jesus then I, I don't think it matters what skin, what ethnic or cultural mix you put on him. I don't think it matters. All through this series, I've been challenging us to think about asking better questions than what we sometimes do. You know, like, for example, we worry about, if you worry at all, you worry about getting Jesus right. But the real question is, are we letting him get us right is the real question it's not about getting a clear picture of who Jesus was as much as it is about being a clear picture of who Jesus is so I've got some questions for us just as we close am I developing eyes that see all people I guess not just the ones like me or the ones that I like, but like Jesus, seeing even the marginalised and making a way for them. It's a great question to ask us if we are letting him get our image right. Second question is, is, my, is mercy my preferred pathway forward? Is, is that my demeanour? Do I lean toward mercy in any situation? Uh, or, or do I look for judgment to fall? Do I demand judgment? Do I demand to be proven right? Or 
Do I let mercy lead the way? That's a great question for us to ask ourselves when it comes to getting the image of God right. Another question, does my diary and my transaction summary, I guess I'm talking about a bank account there, does it reflect a focus on the physical here and now or on the pursuit of his kingdom? I learned it quite a while ago, I guess a long time ago now it seems, just even in church life. It's one thing to have a, a vision statement or a mission statement, or it's, it's, it's one thing to have a missions department in the church. But if you really want to know whether a church is fulfilling what it says is its mandate, you just look at its calendar and you look at its checkbook. It's where we put our time and it's where we put our finance. That's what really matters to us. It, it doesn't matter what we hang on a wall. What really matters is, is where our resources go. And, and I encourage you, like you can read your own life that way. Does, does my life, if I divide it up, does, would it reflect? And, and I know many of us are very active and we've got all kinds of commitments, but I think you know what I'm saying. Even just the spare time, the me time, does that reflect I seek the kingdom? Or am I running after the things and the experiences of this world? Next question, am I regularly giving of myself so others can live? In my words, no proverb says the, the lips of the righteous feed many. Just, just my words, are they bringing life wherever I go? Acts of service, random acts of kindness. Is that the image of Jesus being formed in me? And I guess the bottom line question that undergirds them all, am I more focused on getting Jesus right or on Jesus getting me right. Because I think that's the focus we need to have. And, you know, often we, when we especially when we talk about messages on purpose and destiny, and you can stir people up about that. People can say, what's my purpose? What's my, what's my destiny? Um, Paul outlines it really, really clearly. And and the funny thing is, even though we might have different functions and different gifts and we might do different things to glorify God in our lives, we've all got the exact same destiny. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says, he, who, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. There is our destiny. I've almost tempted to put a Darth Vader voice on it and say, this is your destiny. (laughs) Whatever. Just for the Star Wars nerds among us. But it's funny how we, you know, what's my destiny? That's your destiny. Your destiny is to become the image of Christ. To be conformed. to, To allow elements of his life, not just to frame his life, but to frame our lives so that wherever we are in that educational place that you lecture or that you study or in that business environment where you lead or you thrive or you serve or whatever your role is in in those children's groups that 
you're a part of during the week or whatever, wherever you are, you'd be salt and light that people look at and actually see an accurate image of Jesus that goes deeper than the skin. Amen. I think I've said enough. Do you get it? You cool? You okay? Let's stand together. Can I pray for you? Can I pray? Um, come on, let's let the Word of God in these last moments, let it, let's let it sink in and challenge our hearts. And there's so many other things we could have said. You know, that is a very simple frame. But it helps us get the point. Father, help us. Help us to embrace your word and embrace Jesus. Embrace who he really was. So that our connection with you and our our connection with our world that needs you so desperately is, is deeper than skin deep. It's deeper than external image. Deeper than clothes and deeper than all those things. But people actually see Jesus at work in us in the, in the way that we see the marginalised and include them in, in the way that we exercise mercy over judgement, in the way that we seek you first and honour you by, by recognising that spiritual things are the primary things. They're not the secondary things, but they're the main thing. In every way, Father, help us to, to honour you and to build the image of Jesus in us so that people around us can experience you with skin on. People in the marketplace can experience you with skin on through us. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name I pray. And just, just for a moment, just can we just stay in this moment of worship and closeness to God? You know, you, you might be here today and your experience hasn't been one of encountering Jesus. But as I've talked about him today, you'd say, I would like to, and I would like to meet him. If that's who Jesus is, then then I think I need some of him in my life. I think I recognise that who Jesus is is what I need. You know, you might be feeling like one of those marginalised, one of those criticised, one of those judged. Maybe you've even thought in the past that God would criticise you and put you on the outer. Friend, there's nothing further from the truth. Jesus came to make a way for you to connect your life to God. And so in these closing moments, I want to give you an opportunity. If you want to connect your life to God, reach out to God for yourself right where you stand. Just while every head's bowed, you want to reach out to God for yourself right now. You You've either never done it or maybe it's a long time since you've really connected in a meaningful way with heaven. I'm going to encourage you. Why don't you just raise up your hand and say, that's me. I need to connect with Jesus this morning. Yeah, God bless you, mate. That's awesome. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Yep, God bless you. I see up the back there. That is awesome. That is wonderful. Others in this place, just really quickly, just not going to prolong it, but I just want to give you the opportunity. Come on. You just know, man, I need to I need to connect with the mercy and the goodness of God. I need things to shift, to change in my life. Friend, this is your opportunity. Awesome, mate. God bless you. Awesome. 
Father, I just thank you for hearts that are responding to you right now. Thank you for meeting them right where they're at. Let your presence just flow into their hearts, flow into their lives. Bring reassurance, bring love, bring a sense of forgiveness and acceptance into their hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't, why don't we encourage people who just took that step towards Jesus? I think that's important. And we're going to pray together. And if you responded, just invite you to make this prayer your own. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for forgiving me. Come into my life and I will follow you. Amen. 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 That is awesome. Okay. Let's go out and be stunning portraits of Jesus. Wherever we are, let's be stunning portraits of just how good God is. Amen. Thanks, Sarah.